The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. If you're listening to this on the day it comes out, i.e. Monday the 3rd of August, then the following few seconds of information is bang up to date and on the money. If it's any time after, as my good friend Kev says, the mileage may vary. But we wanted to say a hearty big thank you to Neil Ford, who's guided the Fujicast at 4 Facebook group. So that's Fujicast, all one word, then at, using A-T, then 4, the numerical, Fujicast at 4, yes. He's guided it from the very start brilliantly. The idea is that for one year, you post a picture between the hours of 4 and 5 p.m. in the time zone relevant to you each day in that group. And those that post consistently, or the most across a year, have a prize at the end of it, which I believe we're still saving up for. It's most importantly, of course, a prize of pride that you can wear. But we're all magpies at heart and love opening boxes of stuff, so we thought we'd throw something your way too. 183 days in today, so we're halfway there. Five people have been superb so far and posted, shall we just say, consistently enough to make the halfway podium of five. But don't let that put you off. There's still half a year to go. Well done so far to Adam Richardson, Fran Corbett, Leon Lewis, Mandy Burton and Sven Brandola. You're all stars. Keep posting. And thank you, Neil Ford, for being nothing short of amazing. Let's start the show. And hold on, Kev. I think I need to drop the pace for this bit first before the theme tune. I don't want to depress you, Kev. But right now, you should be in Spain with your beer. Usually you start around about seven in the morning, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) Normally the first Insta post comes out of you with beer, 7am. Yeah. Yeah, although actually it's been just as early as that during lockdown. (laughs) Yeah, we should be in Spain. Airport time. (laughs) C'est la vie, as they don't Mm. say in Spain, they say in France. Well, what do they say in Spain since you you speak Spanish? Uh, They would say, (laughs) mañana, mañana, come tomorrow, let's do it tomorrow, let's start again tomorrow. (laughs) There is a whole language apart from mañana. Yeah. You are going to go next year, though. Tell me you've booked time out for next year. I always book time out. It's always blocked in the diary, six weeks blocked out. Mm. So, yep. Next year, it does depend a little bit on the school when the schools break up. We don't, what? we don't know. Well, because we can't go when the kids are still in school. What school? <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. <laughs> that might be still the case next year. <laughs> no, it won't. God's uh, sake. Um, so yeah, we will, we will go. And um, although next year, funny enough, mm-hmm. the final weekend of of um, up Spain, as our kids call it, we're going oh, up Spain. Going up Spain. That's uh, down to Spain. What I are they know, talking about? I know. Um, I actually Didn't have a you? wedding booked that's been booked for. Th- Oh. Two and a half years oh. in France. Oh. Last weekend of August right. next year. Well, that's good. Yeah, but I, I I kind of have this little mental thing in my head. It's like I don't work in August. That's yeah. my I don't want to work in August. Well, you do now. So <laughs> I, I, I I will be working that that weekend. So my yeah. plan potentially I don't even know why we're talking about this. It's like a year away, and all things could happen. But my plan is to send Gemma and the kids home. Mm. And I'll. Uh, oh, you mean you're going to send uh, them home early so uh, that you, no, they're no, not no. there enjoying the holiday while no, you're No, no, you're they, not they, there. they will go back and then I'll, 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 they'll fly off to London or whatever uh, and I'll fly off up to Toulouse uh, or whatever. Do you know what? I almost had that in reverse because um, Toulouse is where Auntie Sue lives. You know Auntie Sue, don't you? Of course, of course. you do. And uh, they, we, we used to go to Auntie Sue's quite a lot. And uh, we haven't been so much over the last couple of years, but we used to go there quite a lot. She's got a lovely, lovely place down in the south of France. And um, they were all booked in and I was booked in to go to Toulouse and then a wedding booking came in and I took it and I had to wave them off at the station at Victoria knowing that they were going off to Auntie Sue's which is always a great time got the pool she cooks really nicely they go out to the cheese market <laughs> mm. 
horrible, isn't it? Now I'd give anything to go to a wedding instead of Auntie Sue. (laughs) (laughs) Please, give me a wedding, Auntie Sue, please. The FujiCast. Right, hello, welcome to the FujiCast. It's uh, it's another week, you and your questions from our electronic mailbag. And of course now, also through the FujiCast private Facebook group, um, you're, you're welcome to become a part of. You can send your questions through there as well. Haven't we got modern? If you want to send a mail, though, send it the, the old-fashioned way to click at fujicast.co.uk. Thank you to our friends of the show, uh, and especially those who are, are writing in first time. You're very welcome. And welcome aboard those who don't shoot Fuji as well. Um, we've got some club indulgence for you. Um, there's Kev, what's, what's Kev's book of the week this week? I see, um, I see one standing by. Uh, my book of the week this week is Sylvia plushy oh self-portraits ah, with cows not... going home what a great title the cows going home yeah self-portraits with cows going home well i've never seen that one before so that, that's your book of the week Good book, uh, yeah. and of course um after today's show some of the subjects get picked up in the private facebook group and appearing on the show we've got chris orange um so uh, that's all in the sh- in the show today so oh god look as you leaf through that book here before we even get to it this is my kind of book kev i know yeah this one, Ooh, oh. one of my favourites. Still, I've even still got it in its little cellophane thing. I know. Does that mean you stole it from the library? Uh, do you know what? I was just thinking. I was. It actually, looks like you nicked it from Waterstones. I was actually just thinking. I have no idea where I got this from, and yeah. then I think it came from um, the World's End. You know the bookshop in the World's End in Chelsea. No, it has a beautiful little bookshop. You know the World's End in Chelsea. No, I don't. Well, the World's End is at the end of uh, the King's Road. Right. It's the World's End estate. Right, um, okay. I didn't know this. And, uh, yeah, it's like a big, big estate. Mm. And just before you get off the end of the King's Road onto the World's End estate is a bookshop. It says on the back here, gift aid item. So I right. think it must be charity, something or other. I'm sure yeah. I got it from there. But I didn't, I failed to look to see whether this is still available, how yeah. much it is or yeah. anything. So we will do that during... Yeah. During the show, you know, but books that come in cellophane when when you when you're in uh, somewhere like Waterstones and you want to have a little leaf through it to see if it's the kind of thing that you want to buy, and it's in that plastic wrapping. Yeah. Now I, I know it's it's kind of it's not the done thing, is it, to undo the plastic wrapping? No, normally they have one. No, no, available. you know, on those occasions where they don't, it's the last one. You think, oh, do I want this or not? Can I? Do you do you break open the wrapping? I wouldn't Wouldn't personally. You? I'd probably take it to the counter and mm. say, excuse me. When you break open the wrapping? Yeah, can you do it for yeah. me? Um, yeah, oh, that makes me a terrible person then. I'm exactly the same in B&Q when I go to buy some screws and I want to make sure they fit. I undo them. <laughs> oh, and then all the screws fall out and the next person's got <laughs> next one person. screw too little. Oh, yeah. Oh, anyway, moving on. Right, questions. Do you want to go first? Okay, I've got one from Alex Frederickson, who is a friend of the Facebook group, for sure. She's often on there. And she says, let's, uh, let's talk in about the necessary evil that is currently plaguing many of us. And she says that is marketing. What was? Yeah. Uh, She goes on to say, I love words, but I'll be damned. I'll be damned if I can write an email to potential clients. I just cannot do it. What? And to make it more difficult, it needs to be in German because I'm targeting local companies. I do speak German, but my head is exploding here. How do you do this? Use an agency? Do it yourself? Um, <laughs> well, if I was writing uh, to a German client, I'd I would, write in Greek. <laughs> I would start it with "Ich möchte eine Bier bitte." Kev, it's everything to do with "Can I have a pint of beer?" I'm very proud of the fact that I can ask for a beer <laughs> in any language, in many languages. Go on, then. What's Japanese? Uh, oh, I did know you, that. You, no, you've been to Japan yeah, so many times. I did know it. That oh, was gone. All right. Hi, Spanish. Uh, yeah, I knew you'd know that that's one. two beers, please. Yeah, two, two beers. That's greedy. Anyway, so um, 
Yeah, writing the emails. I, I'm, I'm going to ignore the German bit because she no. can speak German and everything, yeah, so it's yeah. not a lang- language element to it. No. Um, although, interestingly, there is a twist on that because some cultures do have more, I think Germany, and I don't think I'm speaking out of term when I say this, they have more formal, it's much more of a formal language. So it's harder to, uh, certainly from my memory of German in school anyway, it doesn't really have too many colloquialisms. Right and uh, slang and stuff like that so it's hard to be anything other than formal I would imagine or formal Mm -hmm. sounding Mm -hmm. in the email but if it's marketing in general then I would say be yourself your voice pass over your own um, voice so to speak Uh, but particular emails themselves I I have a whole load of template emails typically that that I just kind of send boilerplates 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 templates templates boilerplates I don't know. <laughs> Do you, uh, I use um, a text expander for, and I know there's many different flavors out there, but so I put a couple of letters in um, that, that sort of makes text expander come alive and recognize the fact that I want to have a one of my, my templated emails. Oh, and then I might write episodes or I might write uh, new client or I might write contract. And then up comes the email and I, I just. Uh, okay. I find that really, really. I mean, I write so many emails, even in these times of not having a lot of work. Is that not like an auto, like an auto? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm just thinking that's a, that's a great. It just sounded like Alex is sort of getting a bit tired with writing lots of emails. It might be a way Maybe. of short, short term shortening that process down yeah so auto auto um replies uh, not auto replies that's not the right word what they call them in outlook they call them uh, signatures signatures male signatures yeah. um that's what i use i just do big signatures yeah. and uh, you use text expander which sounds like a mac thing i don't think that's a windows uh, thing. yeah i mean i could use uh, signatures as well i just always use text expander you yeah. can do yeah. you can do exactly the same thing on yeah. windows yeah. using macros and stuff but yeah. but yeah so uh, there you go and always remember alex to ask for a beer at the end <laughs> And how do you do that? He's mushed out a beer bitter. <laughs> I'm not sure that's the advice that Alex wanted. I Thank do think, you know, I, 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 and less and less um, people are making phone calls. I still actually think sometimes to make a phone call to somebody makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. Do you not? Yeah. When I, I Now, um, when I've been receiving, not that there's an awful lot of, uh, of inquiries at the moment, but when I do receive an inquiry, I always make a phone call. Always. Hmm. I never do. Yeah. Well, I do at the moment. <laughs> just uh, and and often it's a it's a voicemail, but that's fine because I'll say, look, I just you know want to prove there's a a friendly voice behind the uh, uh, behind the email you're just uh, about to receive. Sounds a great wedding. Would love to be involved. Any questions? Give us a call back. Do you ever get uh, where the the number is incorrect? Uh, no, not really. Hmm. No. <laughs> do you get that a lot? No. Well, I don't <laughs> ring them, but. I, I, I only put the I ask for the yeah. phone number on my contact form. Oh, do you mean people put the wrong numbers in there because they don't want to be troubled? Yeah, right. I, it's a non-required field for yes. me. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I just work on the assumption that if they put their phone number in, they're more mm. of a hot lead because they're willing to give you the phone number. Mm. I don't actually ring it. Um, but mm. there you go. Mm, okay. Um, this one's from Ronan Palliser, um, who is in Dublin. Oh, that would be a great place, Kev, to go for one of our conferences. Mm. Yeah. Dublin. I've been to Dublin for ages. Nice guy, Ronan, as well. Is he? Yeah. Has he been on one of your courses or something? No. Uh, I, I'm not sure whether he was actually on the one I run in Dublin. Mm. I, I think he was the one that organised it for the IVVA, which is the Irish photographer's thing. Right. So they got me over to do a session, but I don't think he could make it for some reason. Mm. Um, but, yeah, he's a, he's an ex-photographer. No, oh, okay. Oh, he's an ex- uh, he's a Fuji film ex-photographer. Correct. Right. Oh, okay. In Ireland. 
Well, we should be talking to him on the show. I didn't realise that. Hi, Kev. Hi, Neil. Thank you for what is an absolutely brilliant podcast. I listen religiously through most of the 2019 wedding season. Uh, you were my company on the drive to and from weddings. I'm now catching up with the episodes since then. You've got a few to do. <laughs> Given the daily COVID episodes, uh, I've, yes, he says, I've quite a bit of catching up. Yes, you do. I'm currently listening to episode 44, where you pose the question, is wedding photography dead? 44? Rem- That's a long time ago. <laughs> we're on 144. 100, yeah. Yes. It was, it's quite <laughs> 38 or something. <laughs> well, it's a good job you're not working much this year. <laughs> You've got a lot of time. You got a lot of time on your hands. Oh dear, uh, gallows humour. Apologies, Ronan. Um, yeah, I remember that one uh, because I remember you uh, actually sending me. That's not a great title because I made a YouTube film, mm. <laughs> and it kind of backfired on me a bit. <laughs> yeah, because when people searched for your name, mm. came up with a video saying, "Is, is wedding, wedding photography, photography dead? dead?" Yeah, be very careful. Uh, what you use as titles on YouTube, because it's very true that they will pop up sometimes and bite you on the... Anyway, Kevin pointed out that people are still getting married and that Ian Weldon, your guest, pointed out that people will always want a photographer, which was true pre-COVID. I wondered if knowing what we now know in the aftermath of the C-word and seeing how the C-word may fundamentally change so many things we thought were constants in the world, would you answer that question differently now? He did give us his thoughts, actually. I think that certainly people are going to reevaluate priorities in, in terms of weddings, at, at least for at least for the rest of 2020. If not, if not for the medium term, I think certainly for the yeah for the for the short for the for the one the people who are actually getting married now and still having less than 30 people and various things like yeah, that. Yeah. I think a lot of those will be going ahead on much smaller budgets, and you know, mum's iPhone will do it. So yeah, I suppose in that respect, perhaps. Uh, I think long-term, no. Mm. Um, at least I hope so. Uh, I remember the recession, uh, 2008, wasn't it? Mm. Um, the following year, I had one of the best years I've had. These were different times, of course, when there were less wedding photographers, granted. And I think the photofilm product jumped up and helped me an awful lot, granted. But it did prove to me that there were families, there were people that still had the money to go and get married. Yeah, of course there is. Even in a terrible recession, and that wasn't a pleasant recession. No, no, no. Well, not that there are any. We live in a we live in a very split class-based society. So there will always be people who will will be getting married and be able to afford it regardless yeah. what happens to the to the rest of the world. Um, it just means that maybe less of them and less money going around and the and more, problem, and more of us. <laughs> yeah, well that's the problem you see. That's the interesting thing about wedding photography is that uh, for example, yesterday, Dyson, uh, who are the, the main uh, employer in Malmesbury, yeah. made 600 people redundant. They went into Did work they? in the morning, wow. and they left in the evening, brought their bags with them. That was it. Wow. Um, you wouldn't, wouldn't expect that of Dyson? Mm, 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 maybe. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, anyway, they weren't expecting it, put it that way. No. Um, they are, well, this, this is, we're going down twists and turns here, but... Dyson sales have gone up during the uh, pandemic yes, because yes. people are staying at home and vacuuming more. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so you make this sound like a hobby. Yeah. Do you fancy doing some vacuuming, darling? Yeah. Oh, no, well, three times in a day, that's decadent. Oh, you should see how many times I've cleaned the fridge out. That's because you're always on the hunt for the last <laughs> bottle of beer. <laughs> and, uh, and But but presumably they've wrapped up the yeah. pandemic as an excuse to, to cut 
Um, so anyway, uh, what was I saying now? So yeah, so maybe twenty of those people will get a redundancy package and go. Oh, I know. I'll be. I can. I've got a camera. I'm. I'm pretty nifty with a camera. I'll mm. be a wedding photographer. Mm. So actually, during times of depression, recession, whatever. I hate that word, depression. Um, you, you know, you do get an influx of people who, because mm. there's no barriers to entry, of course, uh, buy a camera. Cameras are cheaper now. Cameras are better now. A couple of hundred quid, I'll do a wedding. Yeah, why not? Um, I can have the week off then and, and not bother telling the tax man about it. And mm. away you go. So, yeah, I think there's, you know, yeah. No, exactly. no, 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 no. Tut, tut, tut. What do you feel about businesses that are taking cash at the moment that where it's being dissuaded? Um, That's going off down a big tangent. Yeah, I mean. There's two businesses we went to last week where they wouldn't take cards. They wouldn't take cards? Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought. I, I mean, the, I won't pay with anything but a card now mm-hmm. at the no, moment. No, these two businesses wouldn't take cards. What were they like, uh, restaurants or something? No, one was a one was a, a, a barber. You nod like you're expecting me to say that. I, I always nod. Yeah. Uh, I always have a bit of irony in my eye when you mention the word barber. Yeah, <laughs> I wish I'd trained as a barber. <laughs> I'd be rolling in it right now. Uh, God. And um, Ronan also says destination wedding photography. Did have quite a lot of uh, question here? Um, that must surely be dead chaps i.e. where the couple fly the photographer out to the wedding lo- location. And destination weddings themselves, they must be on the ropes. Yeah, well, I think, you know, pandemic aside, uh, Brexit has done for bre- uh, destination weddings for us. Mm. Assuming everything goes as it's meant to go, you just won't be able to photograph weddings in France and Italy and stuff mm. like that um, without... Are you, talk- through- are you talking about the, the Brexit hoops for this? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Brexit, yeah. Um, so... Hmm. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I well, we all know people who go to America. We all know photographers who you see. I'm going to go and photograph this wedding yes. in America. Oh, have you got a visa? No, I'm just going to pretend I'm a tourist. Yes. Now I had, funnily enough, I did have. Um, I was surprised by this. I think I did. I did. I send it to you. Uh, did I send it on to you? But I did have a somebody that um, uh, that inquired for an October wedding to go to. I think it was Pennsylvania. And I did write back and so say legally, no, no way, can't can't do that. Yeah. I wouldn't want to really put no. myself in that situation. No, well, I, I, I often get, I haven't had any for a while, but I often, I usually get maybe six or seven a year from the States. Yeah. Uh, really, I'd love to work there. Really want you. God. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I always, yeah. I always reply with the same thing, saying, look, I would, I would really want to do it. I'm more than happy to, to yeah. look into it. Yeah. However... This is the type of visa we need to look at first. And I give them the visa. I can't remember the actual visa number now, the visa name. Um, and it's on your short. You have to apply for that visa on my behalf. Yeah. Um, and then invariably they just, just reply back out. saying, yeah. oh, yeah. do you know anybody in America? Like, <laughs> Which is fine. And I do. Yeah. And so I yeah. send them their way. Um, Who do you send them to in America? Amy in New York. Okay. Um, there's also... Um, Joe Busing. <laughs> Joe I wouldn't be short of sending people to Joe Busing. That would be, can you imagine that? You go and see Joe. It'd be uh, brilliant for you. Yeah, hundred thousand pounds, please. Hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> um, yeah, a couple. Oh god, yeah. the name. Honestly, it's been. Oh, oh, do you know what? I was up at four o'clock this morning. Wait, oh my word! So all my names have gone out of my head. Yeah. Um, they've all dropped out. And they're friends as well. One by one. So yeah, a handful of people, and you know, they're good. And he said, if I'm allowed one, well, God, if I'm allowed one follow-up, he says, you know, I have more than one. When photographing weddings in this COVID era, do you think you'll continue to tell the story of the day as you do, warts and all, including all the COVID stuff? Or do you think couples will want something more sanitised, pardon the pun, uh, in terms of, you know, it doesn't feel like or look or feel like a pandemic wedding? 
I suppose you know we're talking about face masks and people standing eight feet apart. See, I don't, I don't think people are going to stand eight feet apart. To be honest, Ronan, I really, I can't see it. No, and also, I mean, there's there are different types of wedding clients, aren't there? There's people who want the fairy tale yeah. pictures that actually don't resemble anything that happened on the wedding day itself. Uh, I mean, who goes to, who walks up to the top of a massive mountain and and has a silhouette? picture yeah. on their wedding that's not a memory of their wedding day that's a photo shoot yes so and that's fine and so those types of people perhaps will will want a very sanitized version yes but the uh if you want to remember your wedding during the pandemic and people were wearing masks then masks it is and then it's you'll remember those yeah. things yeah, it's part of it isn't it yeah yeah um so i would be take i would be photographing warts and all for sure Tell the true story, right? One more question, then we'll do a club indulgence. But one more question from uh, Ronan. No, no. <laughs> yeah, it's the Ronan Show. Come on, Ronan. <laughs> you should have a jingle. Ronan Show. Right, go on, your, your question. Uh, this is from Lucas Grimes. Yes. He says, hi, guys. Thank you for the efforts you put into The Daily Show during Corona. Uh, isn't there a song like that? I, I Corona. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I know Corona. No, there's, that's a different song. <laughs> uh, there's been a lot of talk of late about Facebook and whether it really is the power horse that it once was. I know you had Nick Church on to talk about it, and I know Neil was doing a little work with Facebook on campaigns. Yes. I also heard a guest on Neil's Photography Daily Show who had dumped Facebook altogether as the engagement rate was next to zero. Mm, yeah, I've had quite a few do that, actually. What quite a few you, guests. What are your that. thoughts? I have. How I am. Did you get on with your campaigns? I, I'm going to be honest, and it's not Nick's fault. It's probably my fault. Something that I did wrong, but it didn't work. Um, I might, have, you know, I spent three hundred and fifty, sixty quid, and I got some engagement. That's true. I got some people that showed interest. That's true. Then I sent out a price list, and and the wheels fell off. Huh, I didn't enough. think it was the right. Uh, just I didn't seem to. I didn't seem to appeal to the right kind of client, I don't think. Look, I, this is a great generalisation, but if you're looking at six, seven, eight hundred pound people, you know, spending on a wedding, maybe, maybe it's maybe it's going to do really well for you. Mm. But at the price point I was sending out, which was fifteen hundred and up, it was it was um, zero interest. I suppose. I mean, I, I do know some people who who have been very successful with it. Nick obviously has been very successful with this ca- the campaign stuff. I, I know a lot of family photographers who are successful with it. Weddings, I, I don't know. I've never really done anything with it. Engage, yeah. um, Lucas mentions engagement rate. Yeah. Uh, and I find that a little bit interesting because my engagement on my Facebook page, my business page, is always high. Is it? Always high. Yeah. Um, I put a picture on there. It's just sucked in from Instagram mm. um, on Friday or Thursday, perhaps it was, and reached the reach is like eight nine thousand what two three hundred how many people have you likes, on your business engagements and in- stuff like that uh, official likers yeah on the uh facebook page i think it's about thirteen thousand. Well, that's, oh, that's but, amazing but well, most of them are other photographers so yeah, it's yeah. you know it's relevant but the thing is i've always been i've always said this about facebook is if you you know if you if you stroke facebook's Beard. Careful! <laughs> Hold on a minute. If you if you stroke Facebook's, so like uh, for example, like it, it doesn't really want people leaving Facebook. No, it, and it, I, yeah, it makes yeah, its money from yeah, the adverts on yeah, Facebook. Yeah, yeah. So every time you put something in like a YouTube link, of course it's not going to doesn't like yeah, it. it. Doesn't yeah, want you floating to the top there, does it? So, at all? and also like the engagement is it's much like on Instagram. It's mm. you know if you encourage conversation, you ask questions, things like that, then. Then my engagement rate is—I I, I, never—I did never see 
that that time when everybody went oh facebook's i'm not nobody's ever seeing my stuff anymore yeah. and i i often i do actually think it's because people tried too hard and just weren't organic with it now that doesn't mean that i get bookings from facebook because i don't think i do at least i can't remember the last person who said we found you on facebook um i do get the occasional message uh, and there is the the photographer thing in the mix there but i think that yeah, I mean, I, I reckon if you put the hard yards in, perhaps it'll work. But Did we answer his question there? Probably not. <laughs> um, anyway, I hope it was useful, Lucas. <laughs> Said in a laconic style. Right, um, before we have this week's interview, let's do some uh, club indulgence. Um, oh, I need to get mine. So you, you kick off, Kev. Okay, so uh, I'm looking for mine as well. Uh, this is a long one. This is from Stand by. Actual Advice. That's oh, right. his name. All right. Oh, okay. He doesn't want advice. Actual Advice. That would be very cheeky, wouldn't it? Be leaving a review asking for advice. I bet that's <laughs> not on his birth certificate. A great rapport, <laughs> interviews, and knowledge. Discovered this late last year and absolutely love the podcast. Neil and Kevin have a rapport and a genuineness which makes this listening a great experience. <gasps> They really are informative and helpful, and the interviews with a range different photographers is really inspiring. My only minor issue, oh, oh no, would be the wedding photography centric topics sometimes, oh, right. which I can't relate to as a hobbyist <laughs> listener. But understandably, they speak from their own experience and with a passion for their craft. So I wouldn't let this detract from the great show that they've created. All the best, guys. Uh, love from Actual Advice. Well, so, Actual Advice, we are now hobbyists as well, to be fair. You might talk about weddings, but we're essentially hobbyists. We are, and interestingly, <laughs> I, I was about to kick in and say, hang on, we don't always talk about weddings, but then all of the questions we've talked about, <laughs> about, say, about weddings. Oh, yeah. we're, we're trying to do something different. In the second half, it will be totally different. Although we did deal with uh, with Facebook a moment ago. Um, this is um, uh, La Saclone. Yeah, I think so. Kevin and Neil care about you, the photographer. Kevin and Neil really care about helping people improve their photography. Kevin and Neil help people across the road. No, he didn't say that. Instead of weekly talk only about gear, Kevin and Neil answer many questions from listeners and line up interesting interviews with peers. Of course, there is still some gear talk sprinkled in for those with gas, which is a plant-based diet. (laughs) See, you have been listening. This one is from Biobog1. <laughs> talking, talking of plant plant based diets, <laughs> we should just have a listen. We should just have a list of all of the uh, the, the names. A really entertaining listen. Even if you're not a Fujifilm shooter, yep. listen to this podcast religiously. The hosts are extremely knowledgeable, and there's so much healthy banter between them. It's not just about Fuji gear either. The guests yes. that participate come from a wide variety of genres. Yes, thank you. Listen to that actual advice. It's not just about the Fuji gear and. <laughs> Go on, and and Uh, the guests they participate come from a variety of genres and backgrounds, which just adds another reason why you should give it a try. You nearly got to the end of the music. If you sent in one of those reviews, thank you very much. And remember, you're our favourite listener, and we mean it. Right, time for this week's interview. Imagine this: one moment you're shooting weddings, and to be fair, you've only shot a handful of those, and the next you're making pictures and portraits of. Michelin-star chefs at work with the food that they're preparing. Sure, sometimes luck comes to gatecrash, but I'm a firm believer that by being in a place and just doing, you can create to a large extent how much chance or opportunity you give luck to fortuitously gatecrash your party. I started talking to this week's guest, Chris Orange, for what was initially planned as half-hour chat or so about landscape and food. But we spoke for a lot longer, and he painted a picture of a jobbing photographer who's embraced this so-called luck and then had to quickly learn the skills, create other sides of his business, and work on building relationships, which Chris, I think, has become a master at. He talks about generosity and how to form stronger connections with agencies in the commercial world. 
And I thought, particularly this time for photographers internationally, this could be a, a good chat split into two, where we dive a little more in depth into the subjects that now pay Chris's mortgage. We start, though, with a, a very human story connected to the times we live in. First things first, Chris. Your father's uh, just pulled out of what's been a, a difficult four or five months for you as a family, recovering from, from COVID-19. How was uh, You've just had your first meeting with him, haven't you, since, since I think February? Yeah, today actually, or yesterday. Wow. I've just come back. We had the weekend away, and during that time we got to see mum and dad. Um, yeah, it was a very difficult lockdown, like it was for God, yeah. so many people. Um, my dad... Mate, he got uh, COVID nineteen as my mum did back in. It was like the end of um, end of February, March time, um, and uh, they've been in, in Portugal. And yeah, they just got very ill. Both of them did for um, a few weeks, and then my dad just didn't recover. And in the end, he had to be uh, rushed to hospital in um, blue light, and wow. uh, he was um, had to go onto the ventilator like so many did. So you had to have a very, you had to have a difficult conversation with him then, yeah, didn't you? Before we that? did. So I'm one of six children, and my mum she was she said to the nurse, you know, before you send him down, he needs to you know at least have a conversation with his kids to say goodbye or whatever. So um, we all got to have one FaceTime quickly with him before he um, went down on the ventilator, and oh. it was one of those bizarre moments where you don't want to say goodbye because no, you hope no. it's not goodbye, but no. you're not quite sure. Just want to, you know, wish him all the best and tell him you're praying for him. And um, but amazingly, you know, a long story short, he pulled through completely. And uh, the hospital said that he's one of their only success stories. And so um, we, were, we were very, very yeah. blessed to have him back. And we saw him yesterday, first time in five months. Yeah. So, oh, I bet that was emotional. Yeah, yeah. it's quite an emotional day actually, yeah. seeing him and mum and one of my sisters. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just amazing, you know. So grateful to the NHS and. Um, in fact, my daughter, one of my kids, Amy, she wrote to the hospital to thank them for saving granddad's life. Oh, so wow. it was quite emotional. How old's Amy? Lovely letter. Amy's, she's 10. 10. Um, oh. So yeah, it was lovely. Wow. I bet, I bet that was quite a tough time for Amy as well, I would have thought. Yeah. They've been desperate to see um, their grandparents for ages. And uh, it was one of those weird times, you know, how much do you tell the kids? How much can they understand? Um well, yeah, I, th- I think it's been because uh, we've got, um, sounds like we've got similar age kids, actually, Chris. Um, uh, one, well, one of them's 10, the other one's 12. Um, yeah, and uh, one's eight. Oh, right, okay. And, and so <laughs> these conversations, we, we've just found we've had to be uh, brutally honest about some of this yeah. stuff. We live in an age where they're seeing stuff. We're going to talk about social media in a while, but we live in an age where they're, 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 seeing, they're seeing a version of the truth on, um, on social media. And if, you know, you either want them to yeah. believe everything they read on social media or you want to put some checks and balances in and say whoa let's talk about this as a family yeah it's true and actually when we when we thought that um my dad was you know possibly going to die especially the hospital give you you know a very honest they're not they don't kind of you know pull their punches they give a very honest um uh appraisal of of his health and his lung situation and we had to say you know we don't know if granddad's going to wake up and uh, it's very difficult, but the kid, kids are so good at just coping with these things. You know, they they take it as it is, and um, yeah. they just accept it. And um, but now they're delighted, obviously, because Granddad's back and he can play games with them again and, and mess around. So, yeah. <laughs> did good. did did he get the when he when he came out of hospital? Um, did did he have the um, guard of honor with the the claps as he left? 
Yeah, I don't you know. I it didn't actually. Did and he I not? think that they no, I think the that hospital that particular hospital, they they had a very difficult um lockdown. Yeah. And actually they um I don't think they had many good cases. And so I think they were just it was so intense for them that in I the end he just kinda came my mum went to get him and he just came out. But yeah. but on FaceTime we gave him a guard of honour and we did. were very excited. Yeah. And uh the hard thing was you then can't see him for ages. So it's been, yeah. you know, quite a few weeks since he's been home recovering. Um, until he was allowed to, to, you know, come out of his um, shielding. So, well, I'm delighted he's okay. Um, thank you. So, good news, good news. Yeah, great news. Um, I've been mooting much over the past few months, and you might have heard me talk about this on the podcast. Uh, whenever I get a chance, really, the, the benefits perhaps of being a more generalised photographer. Um, I mean, for 15 years, I've, I've personally been very specialised in my work, but I... I go to your site and I'm in the middle of redesigning mine at the moment. Um, and I'm sort of delighted to see sites like your own because um, I see interiors and food and events and landscapes and people. And, and the yeah. subject we discussed yesterday, which was uh, I was talking to Kev about video. And I'm guessing it was uh, it was like this pre-COVID, of course. But, but I would imagine now you see this as a proper advantage. Yeah, definitely. And actually, what I've found is, is that a lot of my clients want everything. And so they're not saying, you know, can you come and shoot just our food? They're saying, can you shoot our food? And I just had an email today from a, a client saying, can you come and shoot um, all our menu? And at the same time, we want the interior shot. And at the same time, we'd like some video made um, of, of the kitchen staff or whatever. So it's kind of a real, you know, they, they, they see you, if it can come to one place and get everything, yeah. then they see that as a, a saving um so yeah i actually forced myself to learn video a few years ago i didn't actually want to learn it um i was just enjoying stills but i forced myself i started a youtube channel just for the sole purpose of learning how to shoot video and how steep a um, learning curve was it um it wasn't too bad i think initially you know cameras I, at, th at that point i was i was shooting with canon but now i'm shooting all, all fuji's and actually they're so well set up for switching over you know from your stills to your video that it's kind of i think there's you've got more in you than you realize i think when you start to shoot yeah. you know you do get better and you, you but but your understanding of the light your understanding of composition it all carries over into video and sometimes it's just that bravery to be able to say i'm just going to start doing video um and i found that you know my clients have been really happy with with what I've produced, and even if I was tentative in in kind of offering it in the first place, that it's, it's come out really well. And um, and I think YouTube's a really great place to learn because what's the worst that's going to happen? No one's going to like it. It doesn't matter. You just keep doing do another video, do another video until you feel like you're um you know producing material that you could start to sell. How have you dealt with um, that side of YouTube? Again, we're, we're coming to social media, and uh, I was putting yeah. YouTube in the social media bracket, of course. But uh, how have you dealt with uh, the currency of a thumbs down here and there? Yeah, it's so bizarre. When I first started, the first set of comments were really good. I thought, oh, this is lovely. I'm going to read all these comments. <laughs> and then it all <laughs> begins to come in. There's someone who just clearly hates you as a person, and it all starts. And I just, I think it just took me a little while to think, actually, Firstly, I'm not going to read them all. And secondly, I'm just going to not care in not in a proud way, but in a, a way that says this is only video. So if someone hates it, they hate it. You know, there's much more valuable things in life to get upset about. So it took me a while to thicken my skin. Mm. Um, but yeah, I did get there in the end. And now I don't, to be honest, I read some of the comments 
some of the others I don't, um, you know, just kind of play it video by video. I watched a very funny video um, not so long ago. Um, somebody was just pulling off the, all the bad comments. <laughs> and, <laughs> and actually this video yielded tens and tens of thousands of views. Uh, and I thought, who's, who's had the last laugh here? <laughs> yeah, what a great idea. I know, I, I know in your commercial work, you work with a lot of PR companies. Uh, there yeah. are two letters, Chris, that make me a little bit nervous. I, I've, I've never really, despite having uh, having shot you know, a reasonable amount of commercial work in, sure. you know, now and then, I've never really had to work with PR companies. What, 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 right. what do you experience? Because I've heard it suggested that, well, three can certainly be a crowd when you have you know the photographer, the subject, and the PR. Yeah, it can be. It all depends on who you're working with at that PR company. And one of the things about PR is that they change personnel so regularly. It obviously is not a great industry for people to work in because, you know, really regularly it's a new person or the person you worked with in one company, suddenly now they're bringing you from another company. So it can be difficult, but it's the only way in to a lot of commercial work. Like if you were to target a company and try and shoot for, you know, say it was a drinks company, you know, if you went straight to the company, you wouldn't get anywhere. Like, the, it's, it all comes through their PR company. They book the shoot, they sort the budget, um, and they're often there at the shoot as well. So the client's often not even around. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's all done. And so often the PR company may get it in the neck if the shoot goes wrong. And whether you get it in the neck depends on how, you know, how well you kept to their brief. But you have to be, in commercial work, the number one thing is you have to make sure that expectations are sorted before hmm. so that you know exactly what the client's expecting um and if you can if you can understand a brief and you can fulfill that brief based on what you've been told it will save you so much trouble you know i've learned that the hard way how long have you been established in commercial work about eight years now hmm. and prior to that and prior to that i was just sh shooting as a hobby just for fun i actually went yeah. my my professional career began with um a <laughs> it's a bit funny really it began with a magazine shoot for for a celebrity chef right. um because a photographer pulled out and one of my friends knew someone at the management company and they rang him and then he said oh my my brother-in-law does photography having <laughs> only shot a couple of weddings and not much else yeah. and uh, so i went along to this to this place and photographed this did a lifestyle shoot for the guy photographed the food um and uh took one guy with me and uh, we just kind of did it as best we could and from there i then got asked to do a lot more magazine work with mm. that magazine and then the pr companies get involved and then you're working for the chefs and my first year of commercial work was shooting michelin star chefs yeah no, amazing award. amazing yeah it was terrifying and also great at the same time well <laughs> so, I'm, glad, I'm, glad, I'm, I'm quite pleased you used the word terrifying in yeah. some respect because i wanted to ask about the intimidate so it must be quite intimidating i, I would have thought so what one moment you're pootling along um doing some social uh, photography work and the next moment you've you've got reasonably good names um in terms of of you know not just the chefs but also some of the the products that you shoot how, how did how did first of all how did it all come together I mean, how did you go from zero? I mean, I know you've explained that chef story there, but yeah. that doesn't really explain some of the product names that you work with. So you've gone from zero to that in a reasonably short amount of time. Let's deal with that before the intimidating side. Yeah, okay. Well, I think the, the, thing, to, the thing that I've realised is that the commercial world is a, quite a small world in terms of 
people talking about you know photographers they've used or whatever so i found there were two key things one referrals were massively important and in fact it's not worth wasting a single penny advertising commercial work because all of it comes through uh, amount word of mouth from one company um, to another if they like working with you um, and that for me has been a, a massive thing because I've I found initially PR companies coming to me after say a magazine shoot now I was terrified doing those magazine shoots at first because you're working with really well-established Michelin star chefs and they're not known for being very pleasant some of these people so you know in their kitchens they're quite loud they're quite it's quite difficult and you've got the PR there or the magazine there so I quickly had to work out how to shoot the portraits the food interiors whatever um so that was that was one thing but the second thing I found was I tried to be as generous as I could with my photos to to try and build some relationships so initially when PR companies came to me and said we see you've done a shoot for you know one of our chefs um and for that magazine you know how do we get hold of these photos expecting to buy them from me i would say you can just have them just take them and there's one particular food pr company said to me you know can we have the chefs from this this shoot and uh, i was like yeah you, you can have the have, have the um have the photos from the shoot just take them and they said they came back to me and was so amazed that i got called the week after they just said look can we can, can we give you all of our clients <laughs> yeah. and it was as simple as that. From there, I had just this enormous amount of um, work coming in. But they didn't take uh, they, they didn't take advantage, though. Um, I mean, you, you've been generous, you've given, um, mm. but but hopefully they've not then just taken. Well, they've just said to me, "Then can we send all our clients to you?" Yeah, but um, but, but but then are you? Uh, able paid, to... They paid me for all of them. Good. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I I then basically just set a rate. I chatted, but actually, because at that point I wasn't sure about you know, what rate to set, because I felt very much like, you know, I was intruding on another world that I've mm. never been in before. <laughs> you know, I kept waiting for someone to come around and tell me, you know, you, could, you can't do this anymore. It's a great imposter but, syndrome almost, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. I felt that for years. Um, but especially initially, I didn't know what rates to set. And so I actually spoke to the PR company and just said, look, what do you think I should, I should charge for that shoot? Um, which looking back now is slightly like, really, did you do that? But actually they were really kind. And they just said, and they must've seen on my website. I didn't have tons of, um, you know, other work on there. Yeah. Um, But I think that's the honesty side, isn't it, Chris? I think you find that people, if you're generous, I think there's so many people that are generous in return and actually don't mind being asked. I think no, people. I, I think, right. yeah, I right. think people take more exception to the fact of you know if somebody's making out there something that they're not. Uh, I think people are happy to guide you through the process if they like you and they like your work. Yeah, I agree with that, and I think it's really important that you're honest about what you can't do as well as a photographer. That's where you get into trouble. You know, if someone comes to you and says, you know, I need this, I don't know, this photograph of of this. Uh, flower pouring through the air and at the same time someone's going to be throwing you know an egg in the air and there's this you know all this stuff that you just think oh my goodness you know it's a dark room and so i've got to light this i've got to get the shutter speed right i've got to get the iso you know all this stuff initially when i was learning this i was quite honest with people and just said what i thought could be done what couldn't be done Mm. and we were talking about youtube Um, are you going to be honest now and say if you didn't know how to do something did you go pootling off to youtube and find out i learned most of my work on youtube wow I spent the first the first year I virtually lived on YouTube watching um, loads. I watched, there's a guy called Carl Taylor, who's an incredible, um, he's like proper high-end commercial photographer for, you know, in, 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 from a studio. 
um and uh he's he had the most at that point he'd done the most amazing course and i watched every bit of that and then i just whatever i needed to do somebody ring me up and say you know we need you to photograph this um at that point i only had a like a camera i had a 5d mark one at that point and not much else and a couple of lenses and so i um would get a call and say can you go and shoot this for us and I would have to research what kind of lens do I need for this for this um, for this shoot, <laughs> yeah. and then I would like go and buy the lens, go or buy the flash, then do the whole course online working out how to use these things and how to run them, and then um, and then go and do the shoot. And so, yeah, I I learned a lot in a quite a short space of time, but it was a lot of fun. Are you um, a natural light shooter, or, or do you? It's difficult, I would imagine, to walk into some of these kitchens and want to set up equipment. They want you in and out as quickly as you can be. Yeah, it depends what the shoot is. I actually do both. I do natural and um, I do three. I do natural, continuous and flash. So it all depends on what I'm doing. Um, if I'm doing a whole day shoot, say I'm, um, say I'm at a, uh, a restaurant and it's a whole day f- photo shoot, then I will set up an area. I'll make it like a mini studio and they will bring food right. to that area, which right. I'll shoot and then it will go again. Um, and then I'll use, and then the, as well as that, I'll move around the kitchen and I'll shoot. Mm know um, natural stuff and then in the restaurants which are very dark they might want sh- food shot out there as well and then i have to light that as well maybe with continuous light i find that say you're doing cocktails continuous lights far better mm. than flash mm. you get a much better um more controllable shot with that mm. so it depends it's, you have to be able to do everything but initially i couldn't initially i was doing continuous lights with those screwing bulbs so i was carrying this enormous suitcase around london yeah. for about a year yeah. get it everywhere i was absolutely exhausted by it until I learned proper flash and then learned to, to, to buy much smaller um, continuous lights. In, in terms of advice for those um, who want to shoot food, because um, it is a very specialist subject, well, what do you usually say? I usually say treat the, the dish, treat the food like it's a face. And so I treat it like a portrait. I look, I try and place it in the way that looks the most beautiful and then and then work from there and start with no light and gradually build in the light to where you think it needs to be right um you can overexpose food food very quickly and so especially if you've got a you know a white plate with a i was going to say that, that, that that's the worst bit about it isn't it white yeah, plate you must you be like, oh please flashes. no white plates bring me something else seriously honestly <laughs> i completely agree and actually what you don't want is loads of flashes on the white plate um, so you might have to really light it well for the very dark, you know, burnt bit of fish or whatever it is. And then you've, yeah, it's just such, such a mixture of exposure balances. Yes. And so you, I think if you start, always start kind of reduced and gradually build up, mm. then especially if you're being watched, because in some of these shoots, there's me, there's the client, there's their PR company, and there might be a branding company. And because it's tethered straight to a laptop, they're sometimes the first ones to see the shot before even I see it because they're all, you know, huddled around the laptop waiting to see the shot. So there isn't a lot of time to get it right. Um, you can't do 10 massively overexposed shots, no. you know, because they're going to wonder why they've booked you in the first place. So you've got to try and get this right. And that's where I began to really love Fuji because you've got the live view through the eyepiece and uh, you can, you know, you can really see a lot of the shot mm. before you're done. That mm. I, was a big game changer for me. Our thanks this week to Chris Orange. That's part one. Next week, we expand with his thoughts upon social media and how he's been using it. Uh, but more in-depth uh, stuff as well about landscape work and food photography. More then from Chris Orange in part two next week. 
Right, back to the questions. Um, oh, we've got the book uh, coming up very soon as well. This week's book is... Uh, this week's book is the most beautifully titled book in the world. It's called Self-Portraits with Cows Going Home by <laughs> Sylvia Plassi. It's an amazing title. I'm not sure if I pronounce her name right. No, She's okay. Hungarian. Nick Osborne, um, thank you for your question. Chaps, well done for continuing to do what you do and keeping us all sane through these strange times, yada yada. Tricky question for you. Oh, are you ready for a tricky one? Uh-oh. Bearing in mind the recent racial controversy caused by Martin Parr, something he's apparently deeply embarrassed and apologetic about, I wanted to ask you uh, both whether you had inadvertently publicised or endorsed anything that you didn't intend to. And the question of this particular story is the risk of association an almost inevitable risk for such a prolific and influential voice in the arts world, or is it not so easily forgiven? What level of ethical or moral responsibility should the photographer or author, editor, contributor have with this type of juxtaposition, whether it was, in, in brackets here, unintentional, clumsy or otherwise? I note that Parr has repeatedly said he now regrets his association with this book, and that he wants to do more to promote diversity, including introducing bursaries for black, Asian and minority ethnic photographers and actively collecting more work by black, Asian and minority ethnic photographers. Um, thoughts, gents? Well, we do, we do actually mention some um, political things with a, with, a, with a lowercase p and sometimes with a capitalised p. Yeah, um, I mean, we don't... Inevitably. We don't draw lines, put, no. let's put it that way. <laughs> no. But, yeah, when I saw this, I, I was somewhat surprised, um, and I'm I, sure you were as well. I didn't actually... Until that email came through, I was unaware of the. Oh wait, well, no, I'd, I'd seen it come up on the on the wire. In um, inverted and commas. Then I looked into it. I mean, I, I did start to think about what I may have inadvertently done or expressed in my work, but um, I honestly can't think of of something. I mean, I, I, I mean, clearly, when you have that kind of so we should kind of profile, we, we should give a bit of background yes. to people who have no idea what we're talking about. All right. So Martin Parr uh, wrote the foreword for a reprint of a book. And he wrote this forward in 2017. The book is actually 25 years old. Uh, um, we, we won't mention the name of the book or anything because clearly it's it's you know it's a sensitive thing. And in that book is uh, certainly one particular picture. Um, I'm not sure if there's others. I've not actually looked at the book. No. Um, that is seen as um, insensitive yeah. in the in the in the world we live in today. Yes. And yes. it is. It yes. is. It is absolutely As without insensitive. without doubt insensitive in that Correct. respect. Yeah. Um, so Martin did the foreword for the 2017 reprint. Uh, he didn't edit it. He didn't, um, in his, after I read about it, his um, statement said that, you know, he didn't actually, and it's entirely his own fault, and he's very apologetic, as he said, you know, he should have looked at the images and all of that kind of stuff first. He wrote the he wrote the foreword based on his knowledge of the photographer. Do you not find it surprising that he didn't look through the whole book of the images? Yeah, I mean, he's he clearly should have... Um, should have uh, looked at the images first and then not put his, his forward to that book, yeah. for sure, 100% yeah. agree. Yeah. He's he's come out fully apologised. and He's fallen on his sword in, 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 um, in leaving... The University of West of England's photography right. scholarship-y type thing. Yeah. Um, so he fell on his sword with that one. He did, but also I think, you know, it's worth bearing in mind that, you know, I think if you look at Martin Parr's work over the years you'd be very hard pushed to not see it as a a diverse body of work that has no real boundaries you know it's really kind of exploring british culture and it's in all of its yeah. uh, essence uh, so ultimately, he's he's done what he 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 rightly should have done, which is apologised. Um, sure, he won't make that mistake again. And I, I do yeah. believe it was a mistake rather than anything of in of uh, malicious intention. 
And you know what? The other part of that question is, you know, could things come and bite you, bite you on the Well, bone? I did start to think yeah. about it the other night. I was thinking, well, have I? I mean, in terms of the gravity of that, no. But in, in terms of the rather more, what you might phrase, less societally damaging and acceptable things, then then many of us, Kev, will be open to skeletons. So this is a slightly different direction now, which, which um, whilst completely understanding, particularly in the current time for enlightenment and education, but taking those those less grievous skeletons, now they could surface to, to cause issue too, couldn't they? We've all done things. I mean, even our, our Prime Minister, you know, when he was... When, when you say even our Prime Minister, like, you're surprised. Well, no, well, <laughs> Without getting political. Yeah, but he's known for saying a few things that aren't they're terribly well thought out. He's known for that, <laughs> but also he's, you know, he's he's had to... Somebody dug deep, deep down into the, into the delves of history and found out, heaven forbid, as a student, he had a, uh, a joint... You yes. know, he had a wee uh, a puff on a, a, a drag on a cigarette of yeah, some kind, yeah. uh, and of course that becomes the headline news. Uh, does it really matter that? I mean, I'm, the, the Martin Parr thing definitely matters, but this thing about you know really really digging down to teeny little things in yeah. your past yes. that you know not on a kind of um, racial or religious hate basis or anything, mm. but things that you may have done, things you may have said in the pub or whatever, you know, it can come back and, you know, we, yeah. you, you've got, well, I don't know whether... I To be nervous about it uh, or, or, uh, or whether to... You know, or yeah. the thing is, look, the way that I think about it is that you, you know, if you... If you have horrible opinions of people and you say horrible things, then you'd be right to be called out about it. Yes. Um, but... You know, you shouldn't necessarily be called out about, you know, I don't know, having a, a joint or something when mm. you were 18 in university. You know, I think... Well, politicians have had to go bit... through... I mean, I know we're talk, talking on a totally different plane now to, to mm. what that the subject matter was with the Martin Parr thing that we were just talking about. But, uh, yeah, that that's unfortunately the grubby state of journalism, isn't it? The... You, you look back and uh, dig and uh, dig deeply with some some of the most benign things. What is it? When when they're, they're more important, of course, then yes, I think yeah, investigative absolutely. journalism is right to call people out where you're voting for somebody and they might have an opinion where you yeah. think, whoa, wait a minute, yeah. no, 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 no. No, absolutely. I think anything to do with creed, colour, ethnicity, gender, uh, you, know, you know, we live in a world where equality is... Well, sadly, we don't live in a world where people are equal, but we should live in a world where people are equal. Um, And, yeah, so I think Martin Parr has... uh, He's apologised. He's fallen over a wicket, for sure. And I'm sure he will not be making that mistake again. No. Right, your question. My question? Oh, I was looking at my book. (laughs) I know you were. Uh, You were going into a happy place. Look at this wedding picture, sorry. Let me have a look. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Are those two pictures related, by the way? I don't know. I wonder I if that, that handbag picture is at the wedding. I don't know. Oh, that'd be lovely, wouldn't it? Because that would be great sort of observation. It probably is. Talking actually. about something here that you can't you can't see out the other side of the uh, podcast. Yeah. But uh, oh, that is, that makes you want to go and. Anyway, we're really jumping yeah. ahead here. We are. We've got a question first. Come on. Uh, so this question is from uh, Beverly Openshaw. Hi, Kev. Hi, Neil. I'm interested in getting into some macro work with my Fujifilm cameras oh, okay. and wondered if you could make some suggestions of lenses. What about the extension tubes too? Are they good? Regards, Beverly. Oh, that was quick. Yeah. Um, well, I had those. Um, those. Uh, they're not called extension tubes, are they? They're called uh, ex- extension extensions. 
Yeah, yeah. It's not quite a tube. No, well, it is a tube. It's not. Yeah, it's of sorts. One point four and yeah. one point eight. I had those, and I, I found um, um, I've, I found some modicum of success with them, but I, I I didn't use them too much. And in the end, they went. And I've but now I've now I've been loaned on donated. I don't know what the word is. This sixty mil uh, lens. Oh yeah, that yeah. looks familiar. Look, look, it's in here. Yeah. Is this your one? Looks like it. Is it dirty? Yes. Yeah, then it's mine. <laughs> yeah. Have you got my 35, 1.4? Well, have a look. Nope. <laughs> <sighs> well, anyway, Beverly, I actually use those extensions, and uh, I, I like them. I did. They're very hard to use to get right, mm. uh, because you need to manually focus, you need to get pretty damn close. So, of course, if you're using them for um, macro work, such as close-ups of uh, insects or flowers, yeah. you need to get close, which means you're going to have to throw a light under it because yeah. the lens need, itself need will 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 shadow it and glue the insect down. Uh, no, <laughs> oh. so I, I quite like those, but they are yes. hard to use, they are. admittedly. Yeah. But of course, in the macro world, the um, I used to have a 60 mil f 2.4 lens. I don't know where it's got to. <laughs> Um, but there's also the 90 mil lens, no, 80 mil, 80 mil macro, yeah. which is a, I believe, I don't have it, uh, but I think it's a one to one macro lens. So oh. uh, that will be, that's meant to be the the bee's knees. It's not really a lens I would, I, I, I would have purchased. Do you do a lot of macro? Have you, uh, I used to. Yeah. Have you done anything of late? Not no, really. No, no, not really. Okay. Um, <laughs> let, thank you for your question, Beverly. Openshaw. Let's let's look at um, some of the questions for the show that have come in on the the Facebook. You can now. Uh, we just thought I got asked a few times of late whether we would uh, because we did during the actual um, lockdown have uh, the ability to ask more questions on the Facebook group, and uh, we removed it. Never really went back to it uh, when we went back to doing Monday shows. But um, so it's rein it's reinstated. So Sorry, um, can I just interrupt? Yes, you've got fifty four friend requests that you haven't uh, have done I? anything with. No. Yeah. Where? There at the top where it says fifty four in red letters. Oh my word. Oh, no, it just says people you may know. No, there's not friend requests. Oh, mine only comes up with friend requests up there. It doesn't do that. No. Well, no, because you have so many friends. For me, it's it's obviously thinking, you need a few more friends, mate. (laughs) That's interesting. With with you, it knows you have enough friends. So, well, there we go. It probably knows I just don't want any more. (laughs) Well, I've just just added one in there. (laughs) Um, Right, Hubert Steve Cole. I find the Fuji app not sufficient for wireless remote shutter, especially for nature. Recommendations XT2, XT3 for wireless setups for a prox 100 to 300 feet. So that's for a bird's nest or fox den or something like that. Yeah. Well, that's neither of our specialities, of course. It's not. However, before the Fujifilm app came along, I did used to have a remote triggery thing that worked on the hot shoe. And it was uh, it did it was an app on the phone and the, it triggered the the, the hot shoes. So you could get it closer to your subject. Yeah. I have to say, I I know a lot of people have problems with the app. I don't. Um, although saying that, I don't use it much. Uh, I don't specifically remember thinking, oh, this is not working. Yeah. But enough people have said they've got problems with it. For it, there must be some some kind of issue. Nice. Um, yeah. So I, I don't really know. But there are there are third party. Um, triggery type things that will allow you to stick your camera up by the bird's nest and right. then you sit in your house and look at the great wouldn't it yeah. press the button when the time's right kind yeah. of thing um, that'd be really handy I know it's not supposed to be talking about weddings in this half we promised faithfully didn't we but that would be really handy for weddings at the moment socially distanced mm-hmm. sent outside the church yeah um, you know you yeah. can you can get them coming in and get them coming out the rest of the time you need to stay outside photographer yeah. 
that would be a really handy um, facility to, to have, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, it would. I mean, the the, the app, the the, 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 the Fujifilm app is wonderful mm. if, when it's working for those people who have problems with it mm. because you can focus, you can just you you can uh, you know be sat on the train, have the camera in your lap, pretend you're on your phone, and click. Yeah, you've done one of those things that everybody gets really angry about. Yes. Right. Um, as soon as we've answered one of these questions for the Facebook group, by the way, I'm going to remove the comment. It doesn't mean that we don't like you. It just means that we have some sort of filing system so that we don't go end up uh, end up asking the same question again and again and again. That's the right way to do it, isn't it? No, I don't think so. Why don't you just uh, put a comment at the end saying covered in this week's episode? Right. <laughs> because some people are answering, you see. Oh, I see. You don't want to just remove oh, it. All, what have so. I done now? Then I've I've just removed his comment. Have you? No, unhide. No, I, I hid it. it. Yeah, just just put a reply in there. All right. This is this is proper production, live production. Yeah. Okay. Do it, do it under the well, last do, reply. Do I need to do it now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because oh, okay. you'll forget. And under the last no, reply. Under the last reply. Okay. Don't. It's nothing to do with Jim Swallows. No, I know. Um. <laughs> <laughs> covered in Monday show. Just like covered in Monday show. Yeah. How to use Facebook. <laughs> Right, I'll do that in a minute while, while doing this week's book, um, which looks at, uh, on the inside of that cover, by the way. Sil- Sylvia Plashy is the uh, is the photographer for this one. It is, although I'm not sure whether we're pronouncing that right. Pl- Plashy, I think so. Plashy, Plashy. It's Hungarian, mm. so there may be a little bit of. Uh, oh, I've gone a bit French on it, haven't I? There may be a bit of yeah. um, uh, in- intonation yeah. needed in the in the words. Okay. So, yeah, Sylvia Plashy. Now, this book, uh, like I said, I think at the beginning is one I picked up. I'm sure I picked it up in a, in the World's End bookstore, um, which is great. And I'm just going to read you the, the little brief part of the introduction because I, I don't know if many of you will have heard of her. Uh, had you heard of her? No, I hadn't. No. In 1956, in the wake of the Hungarian Revolution, 13-year-old Sylvia Plashy fled her native Hungary with her parents, carrying nothing but a small suitcase and a teddy bear. Ultimately arriving in the United States in 1958, self-portraits with cows going home, Plashy's most complex and personal book to date, is composed of a rhythmic cycle of photographs taken Mm. over the past 40 years Mm. during several trips back to Eastern Europe. And that's uh, the little blurb on the introduction. And basically, it's one of those books that uh, is it's kind of sectioned into times. But there's some beautiful mid-spread images. This full page, page 109, <laughs> full-spread image here is, uh, I'm just showing Neil. This is a, a, a bloke with a geese between his legs. <laughs> yeah, it's a guy. It's yes. guy um, that sounds a lot more suspect he's than got it a goose. actually is. But there's uh, a goose sitting there. It's, it's like, th- like he's petting his dog. It's probably a market store or something. Yes. Yeah, I really want to go back to that, that little wedding section. So there's a image on page 38 which mm-hmm. is absolutely beautiful yeah. and it's a bride and a, her new husband walking into a room uh, they're walking along the balcony outside of a, a building and there's a lady walking behind them i don't know whether she's part of the, the wedding or not um then on the opposite spread is a is a handbag at a, what looks like the wedding reception yeah. a simple simple yeah. beautiful picture yeah. now each of these little sections in the book have, have little bits of introductions and there's a nice portrait here so on page 36 a couple of pages earlier it says uh, Andre says was my friend, my mentor, and my honorary grandfather. During his visits, we had tea and jam and spoke Hungarian with each other. <laughs> he took this portrait of me when I was 21 in his apartment on Fifth Avenue. Mm. Around the time when I made my first trip back to Europe, he called my he called me a taknios, which means snot nose, oh, affectionately. Nice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, lots of oh, it's just beautiful. There's all yeah. kinds of uh, it's very eclectic, isn't it? It's eclectic. It's it's I mean. 
look so this picture here it's do you know what this is the most challenging thing for me these book reviews on a podcast because you can't you can't show show people you really do need to get hold of this book if you can it's wonderful Um, it's not too expensive either actually it's 20 i just found one on amazon 26 quid there you go Mm. Uh, i'm not sure whether you'll get a first edition and stuff or maybe there was only one edition who knows certainly not for 26 quid but it's not about that it's about the pictures Mm. so this one on page 67 um this was uh, this is a picture of two prison suits and it's simply titled Dachau and, and then it says wow. Noah Museum 1985 oh my word um, now, now you've read those words now I can see those two prison yeah. uniforms there and, and with I reflections. can see them at, you know backlit as well god yes so so the this was clearly taken at the museum because mm. they're behind the glass glass walls mm. but um, mm. remember the book is about her entire journey over 30 years back and forth Eastern Europe mm. and the text next to this this particular image on page 67 says in the end my mother's parents were gassed and her mm sister my aunt Hedy survived Sanyika my mother's brother though he was seen waiting at a train platform somewhere in Europe didn't ever make it back my mother never never stopped looking for him Um, and then there's you know there's humorous pictures and uh, there's you know beautiful beautiful portraits there's Um, a long tail project then about her her life yeah well her heritage because I don't believe any of this is she lived in America most of her life uh, and I don't believe any of this is from there I believe this is this is mostly um, mostly the stuff she's photographed on her return journeys Mm. to Eastern Europe Uh, wonderful so page 183 opposite candles are lit for the dead of the 40th anniversary of the Hungarian revolution outside parliament in Budapest October 23rd 1996 do you think you'd ever um, considering how many frames you've made now i know your career started in photography later than that it looks like obviously her interest in photography began do you think you'd ever be able to turn out a long tail project um a book you know looking back at all the stuff you've done with your your family the photographs you've made when you've been to sporting events the stuff you've done abroad the pictures you've made while you've been carrying out your fujifilm ambassadorial duties in different countries no you really? can yeah, I mean, you can print, you can make a, I could make a book of them, of course, but yeah. they wouldn't be, I mean, this, I look, whenever I look at things like this, I always think, I said it to you when we were off here, yeah. I wish I was a proper photographer, <laughs> you know. Oh, um, Kev, we are, we're, we're potless, we're now proper photographers. We are, yeah. We're now artists. We're, we're proper, proper photographers because we don't earn any money. No money. No, but this is, this is special. And yeah, it is. You know, to have, special. Yeah. to have the skill yeah. and talent to do yeah. this and, and the foresight to, to make it into a, and the patience, 30 years. It's 30 years of work in that one book. Yeah, wow. brilliant book. Self-Portrait yeah. with Cows Going Home, buy it. That's <laughs> probably the best title. We will, of course, link to it. Um, we've ever had. There you go. Yeah. Right, back to your questions. Another one from Facebook. Aaron Cousins. On Monday, Kev posted a lovely picture, uh, Instagram of a bridesmaid with the last-minute nerves, and he noted that uh, it was shot using his X100T. I asked Kev if he still uses X100 series cameras at weddings due to the single card slot dilemma, which he, he replied he did. Like many of us, I love these little cameras, and it was heartwarming to hear that in our increasingly litigious world we can still get away with it, albeit as a second pocket camera. However, have either of you ever suffered a loss of images due to a corrupt card, and did it cause you any major problems? Love the show, yada yada, Aaron Cousins. Have you ever lost stuff? We talked about this a little bit before. Mm. I think we talked about my... My um, my assistant, or rather second shooter. Yeah, she lost the cards. Yeah. I mean, she didn't lose them. Either. They, well, they, they, got, they got stolen, they didn't stolen. they? Yeah. 
Um, um, yeah, I mean, I, that's, that's a loss. I haven't had any no. corrupted cards. Uh, touching wood, touching everything. Um, what must you never, 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 ever, ever, never, never, ever do when you're out on a job? Delete. Never delete an image. Correct. Because that can corrupt a card, can't it? Can indeed. Yeah. And also you might delete a nice picture. That's um, true. Yeah, no, so I haven't. But then I I'm, I, I always use, I always, always, always go for the SanDisk Extreme Pro cards. They're more expensive. Yeah. I always make sure that they're from reputable sources as well. So Amazon, Wex, Park Cameras, all of those places. Are Thanks. you worried that people might pick up something that's not not necessarily the label that they're thinking they're receiving or they there may get something else instead so of what they're hoping for? Much, so many faked memory cards. Is there? Ah, millions. SanDisk, they're plagued with problems. Are they? Do they know? Well, of course they know that. Yeah, they do. So on SanDisk's website, you can put in the serial number and it will do a check. Oh, really? All kinds of things like that, wow. yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah, so obviously always go with the, the most... That doesn't mean that they can't fail, of course. No. Everything's got a lifespan. Um, I typically recycle my cards about every 18 months as well. Oh, so you do throw them away? You don't... I don't throw them away, but I'll, I'll, I, I get some new ones in and then I'll keep the other ones for maybe, you know, YouTube in or whatever. Um I don't just throw them out. Well, the great thing about SD cards is they're, they're dead cheap, really, aren't they? So, you know. Well, they're not that cheap, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, if you want an... Comparison to these new CF things. Oh, yeah, 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 and the QXDs and stuff. But if you want a, um, uh, a UHS-2 card, which which the, the Fujifilm cameras use now for, um, uh, you know, fat, really fast cards and 4K filming and all that kind of stuff, yeah. they, they can be 64-gig cards, about £125, £130. Okay, that's true, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but obviously the UHS ones and uh, are not as expensive, mm. Mm. and uh, yeah. So no, I've not had a failure. Luckily, no. touch wood. Do not do not scrimp on your cards. Um, and that's it for this week. We're out of time. Time, time, gentlemen, please. Thank you very much for your questions. Keep them rolling in, please. Um, send them to click at fujicast.co.uk. Thank you to our, our guest this week, Chris Orange. If you can share the episode on Twitter or on Facebook, you are a star. Let us know where you've been sharing to because we'd like to give those platforms a shout-out. Um, music is from Blue Wednesday. I'm sure usually I say a whole lot more stuff there. Oh, yeah, see you on the Facebook group for your questions. <laughs> yes. And don't forget the moderator, Stephen Peter. Steve, Steve's back from his holiday now, isn't he? <clears throat> I he think was, so, yeah. He went to this gorgeous little cottage, didn't he? Did you see it? Uh, I think Amazing. I saw something. He went to take some pictures of sea lions or something, didn't Did he? Did he? What? Mm. What, in his cottage? <laughs> um, so Stephen Peter are there, too, with their, their little shiny FIFA referee whistles, as I say, say every week. And uh, Make sure you behave yourselves in there. Send your questions in, as I said, to click at fujicast.co.uk. Music from Blue Wednesday. We're supporting music from the incredible artlist.io and if you'd like to see our offerings to the photo community visit fujicast.co.uk lots of info about today's show the links etc the stuff that we talk about and uh, there's a stack of resources we haven't talked about this for a while oh what's that we must remember the tour box competition tour box competition <laughs> i was waving at you for 10 minutes then <laughs> have you got the art have you no oh. so we just got to keep talking about it Oh right, okay. <laughs> to remind people, but we, we've only had 
We've only had uh, four entries so far. Oh, there's more than that now. Oh, maybe six then. Yeah. I don't know, but but not so enough. Keep sending them in. Yes. I thought for a minute you were thinking we're supposed to draw the tour box there. No. Saying, not this week. No, 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 no surely no, no, not. No, no, no. So no. The, the, don't forget. So we're looking for pictures. Go to the website, fishcast.co.uk. Click on the menu item that says tour box competition, and you can read it all in there. We are looking for pictures uh, that describe your or, or kind of um, show us your, your way exit, out. Your yeah, way out your from exit from. from uh, the the crisis, if you like, or the lockdown, at least, because I think we're still in the crisis. And the winner will get a tour box, which is a wonderful little device for allowing you to edit much, 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 much more quickly with uh, Lightroom and uh, dials and whistles and bells and knobs and sliders and things. A little bit like what Neil's got in front of him now, but much smaller. Oh well, yeah, yeah. Um, um, I'm still looking for my. Has my one arrived yet? No, it doesn't. I don't seem. think so. No, no, it's not in there. No. It must be with that 35 millimeter of yours. I've if got. you don't win it, of course, there is a link there where you can get a discount should you want to buy one anyway um and uh and that will help you out so there you go toolbox yes toolbox toolbox see you next week bye the fuji cast is an independent loading zone production email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way 